welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on the current assistant coach of the Calder Cup winning AHL Hershey Bears, Nick Bootlin on the podcast. And what an awesome conversation this was. A little bit about his background. Nick grew up in Shelburne, Ontario, about an hour and a half north of the Toronto area, played his junior hockey in the OHL with the Guelph storm before embarking on quite the professional career as well. Uh, after he was done playing professional, he went on to be the head coach of the Kalamazoo K, uh, K wings in the IHL and the East coast hockey league before going on to being the assistant coach of the HL Hershey bears just last year. So unbelievable career that this guy has had both as a player and as a coach but before we do get over to nick let's bring on the talent of the podcast jeffrey j who vex what's shaking today just l-i-v-i-n bro just living here man that's it that's it that's all <laughs> all right all right all right all right all right all right <laughs> I like it. Usually, usually you got something more for us. It's just, I don't know what's going uh, on today. I was, no, I was, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm fading right now. I was dying. <laughs> it was a long, long day today. Let me guess. It was a long day in the gym. And yeah. Long day, hours, And I had to walk there uphill both ways in the snow, even though it's August. Yeah. Both ways, baby. Both ways. <laughs> oh man. What dude, this was an unreal conversation. Yeah, beauty. I totally forgot. I knew his name looked familiar, and I think I played against a Bootland in the AHL. Um, and so, you know, I lead prospected him before we got on, and I was like, oh, man, I remember I watched him play at the K-Wing Stadium when I was a freshman or a sophomore. Um, yeah, yeah, and I remember, like, everybody in the rink, like, just loving him. Every, like, he touched the puck, and the fans would go nuts, and I had heard he'd been there <laughs> forever, and then he wound up coaching there forever. So, obviously – Anybody who stays in one place for a long time in pro sports is obviously a special person. Uh, you know, that type of thing. Uh, it doesn't matter what level it's at. Uh, even if it's a, like youth hockey coaching, if somebody's there for 10, 15, 20 years, like there's something special about that person. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. I, yeah. I, I felt like we got that from the call too, you know? Oh, for sure. Knowledgeable, yeah. passionate, like. Yeah authentic yeah. Right. Yeah, totally can understand why he's had success where he's been and yeah i mean 14 years as a head coach in the echl and he went straight from playing to coaching that same team um which is not an easy thing to do and yeah. then we actually had a couple of funny stories about that we'll save it and let him tell it on uh, on the pod but um yeah it's just like man it's another one of those where i feel like i got better today you know i feel like i got, I got better today as a coach nothing nothing better than getting better <laughs> nothing better than getting better. That's right. Uh, well, cool. Well, we have a couple of announcements that we want to make. And the first one is, is we are going to actually do a little bit more podcasting. Vex, are you excited hey, about this? Dude, I'm, I'm stoked for this. Uh, guys, I'm going to let you know a little secret. We didn't talk about that this before, but we haven't come up with a name for this thing yet. <laughs> we should have let them, let our listeners help us name this thing. If somebody yeah, thinks sure. of a cool name, you literally will be the one who forever named our new thing that we're going to do with the Hockey Think Tank podcast. 
Absolutely. So what we are going to do is we are going to do little quick hits and there is a time limit to these. So they're 10 minutes, the 10 minute time limit. And we are going to do it twice a week. We're going to do it twice a week. We're going to put our typical Monday podcast out every Monday, just like we've been doing for the last four and a half years. But then we wanted to do a little bit more too. And this can be a little bit more hockey specific, maybe a little bit more tailored towards some of the youth hockey stuff, but we're going to have a range of what we're going to do. And the beauty of this is, so we're going to have our regular podcast on Monday. Then we're going to do our quick hits, 10 minutes on Wednesday and Friday. So a little bit more. And the beauty of it is going to be one of those days. I am going to bring a topic that Jeffrey is going to have zero idea what that topic is going to be beforehand. And then the other day, Jeffrey is going to bring a topic where I am going to have no idea what his topic is going to be beforehand. And then boom, we set the timer. 10 minutes and we're talking some hockey, baby. 10 minutes of talking hockey. And yeah, we need you guys because we're sitting here. We're batting around all these ideas. All of them are terrible. So if you guys can, <laughs> please shoot us, uh, you know, messages on uh, social media, whatever. Like you got to name this for us. Here's here's what, we're, here's what we've been kicking around in the old <laughs> brainstorming then diagrams. If you remember, the, no, you wouldn't use that in this scenario, but some kind of diagram. This is what's up on the figurative board. Like. 10 minutes in the tank, uh, hockey think tank, quick hits, hot guys doing hot guy things for 10 minutes. That wasn't in there, but you know, it could be like, if so, if you guys, whatever, if you've got something funny, if you got something serious, you got something that makes sense for us, you know, hot guy in the coach, you know, I would play the hot guy. Toph would play the coach, <laughs> right? Like whatever say. you're thinking here, <laughs> if you come up with a cool name, you get naming rights. So boom, you could be part of the think tank forever. So send us, send us some names here. Yep, for sure. And we felt like, um, you know, we felt like we just wanted to do a little bit more and we know that just from feedback, like, um, everybody gets a lot out of the podcast where we talk hockey, you know, it's just hockey specific type stuff, whether it's culture building or whether it's system structure, player development, whatever it may be. And so this is going to be one that uh, we're really excited for. Um, and again, like we don't want to put out another whole crazy podcast where we're interviewed. Like we just wanted to keep it simple, keep it short. And so it's something that, you know, on your way to the rinks during practice towards the start of the season, maybe you're on the way to work. It's just a quick 10 minutes to get your hockey blood flowing. And um, yeah, we're for this. I'm, I'm, I'm jacked. 10 minutes with Toph in the model. There's another name <laughs> we could possibly use. I'm just throwing them out there, guys. Send us what you like. Oh my God. You are such a beauty. 10 oh. minutes with Toph and Jeff. I don't know. I just think 10 should be in the name, but you guys, if you guys think of a cool one before we decide what we need, I'm a it. little, I feel like, I feel like I'm getting dissed, like kind of like, you know, there's like all this hot guy stuff going on and it's never, towards, I mean, towards me. I mean, what's, what is, what is your it wife's family? Call guys, me? What's your, or- what's your wife's family? Call me. Oh, you can't. Well, lie. they do call you hot Jeff. Oh, they that call me mean... hot Jeff. Tope's but... wife's family calls me hot Jeff. What's up, guys? <laughs> they do. And there's actually a story to that because at my wedding, which would be the only time they would ever really ever meet you at my wedding, Jeff was shirts off. What, eight seconds seven in? Seven minutes in? <laughs> eight seconds in? Maybe that's what it was. And so Jeff's all tatted up and he's got his shirt off. And like my, my wife's family's like pretty proper people, like very, you know, well behaved or whatever. And then all of a sudden, here's this guy tatted, you know, shirt. It's with grandma. 
Yeah. The the oh Steph, I have to give you this picture and you got a blast on social media. It's Vex <laughs> with his shirt off dancing with M's grandma, and it is hilarious. Because that's how the name Hot Jeff came about. And Jeff was on the family calendar. You were on the Nagel Stites family calendar for <laughs> after our wedding, which is a big deal. Which is a very, very big deal. And I know. So, I, I don't take that lightly, which is why I was throwing out real names. The coach and hot Jeff, you know, whatever you want to call it. What about this, like the it, hot coach and hot Jeff? Well, there's only <laughs> enough hotness to go around. There's only so much hotness. For, trust me, that's, that's perspective, the right way to go. perspective. Perspective. You know, yeah, yeah. When self, David is standing next to Goliath, David looks pretty small. All right. We're talking, <laughs> we talked about self-awareness with, with Nick on the, on the podcast. I need to have a little bit of that right now. I get it. Yeah. No, we're just having fun. We're just having fun. Anyways, back, back to the Borafil. Back to the Borafil. So we are really excited to do this. So they're going to come out. Uh, like I said, we're going to do our typical Monday podcast, which was what we've been doing. That's going to come on Monday. And then on Wednesday and Friday, we're going to come out with these 10-minute quick hitters. And uh, yeah, going to be talking some some more hockey. We're really excited about it. And uh, also really excited about this podcast. And like that transition? Boom. It's all right, right? Yeah. Boom. <laughs> um, so uh, before we do get over to Nick, we do have some people to thank. Want to thank our title sponsor, Gelstix, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Go there and get a discount on some weighted training sticks by using the coupon code ThinkTank one word. These are sticks that are used by the pros. They're used by college. They're used by the NTDP. They're used by Jeff and his gym. Great product. Gelsticks.com. Go there today. Vex, go ahead. I want to thank Train Heroic. That is the unbelievable application that I use for all of my online training for both general population and for the entire hockey world. All of the hockey world. Uh, super excited to, uh, to be working with all the teams. I will be this upcoming season. If there's any teams out there, I just had another, uh, North American hockey league junior team reach out to me last week that is interested in working with me during this season. Any teams out there that don't have a a quality strength coach, performance coach to help them in season. Literally, I can help you using this app. I've, I think got six championships over the last three seasons with junior teams, um, regular season championships and playoffs i can help train smarter and harder with your guys based off of your individual schedule um so if there's anybody out there who's looking for that doesn't matter if you're a junior team college team um european pro teams i've worked with as well as youth teams i can help you guys train smarter and harder so thank you to train heroic also want to thank Cure nutrition that's a cbd company that i use every single day twice a day uh, keeps my brain strong, keeps my body strong. There's a million reasons why CBD has positive effects um, for so many different people on so many different things in their life. Okay. Our body has these ECN receptors, endocannabinoid receptors, and they need to be fed cannabidiol CBD. I can get into the science with you in the DMS. If you have questions on the how, what, why, all right, not all CBD is created alike. Stop buying it from the gas station. You're wasting your money. If you want to try out cure nutrition message me, I can help you with uh, which products would be best for you as well as use my discount code GMBM on curednutrition.com. Boom. There we go. And thank you to icehockeysystems.com as well. The premier website for all your coaching education needs, especially this time of year, guys, like this is an unbelievable time of year to, to stack up with ice hockey systems because it's an 
unbelievable resource for all coaches out there. They have thousands of drills. They have whiteboard explanations from system structure, player development from some really, really high level hockey people. And it's just a phenomenal resource. And we have teamed up with them to do an associations package where you can get this for every single coach within your organization. You can share practice plans together, um, share drills together. It can all be housed under one roof. Um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal place to go. And they also not only are going to be helping the coaches within that system, but they're also going to be helping the parents as well because they have access to the Hockey Think Tank Parent Survival Guide. So uh, get this for your organization today. Guaranteed, it will be a value add for all your players, all your parents, and all your coaches. Go to Ice Hockey Systems. And with that... Man, this was just an awesome conversation. I really, really, really enjoyed this one. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one as well. So without further ado, here we are with AHL Calder Cup winning assistant coach of the Hershey Bears, Nick Bootland. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's in Kalamazoo, but pretty quickly here is going to be heading up to Hershey, PA. We got Nick Bootland on the podcast. Nick, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. What a career this guy's had, eh, Vex? Dude, I, I actually, I was going to say it in the pre-show, and, and I didn't, but uh, I remember watching you when I was, uh, I was either, so you were in Kalamazoo, the captain of Kalamazoo in 05, 06 through 07, 08. I think I watched you my my sophomore year in 06, 07. We went to a K-Wings game, and I remember seeing you out there, and you were still freaking buzzing 85 points in 75 games that year not a big deal yeah yeah <laughs> pretty good team pretty good that's team. awesome <laughs> i like it i like it well we're certainly gonna hit up that journey here pretty quick but uh, i want to introduce you to the listeners here and you grew up in shelburne ontario about an hour and a half north of uh, toronto um obviously a lot of hockey going on in that area and so what was it that got you to fall in love with this great game well, obviously, being a Canadian boy, it's pretty uh, natural, right, to, to come out and be on skates and uh, want to be part of the process. My dad played senior hockey back in Ontario when senior hockey was really good. Um, and there were still players getting an opportunity. And there's a, I'll tell you a brief cliff note story. But the year I was born, that year, uh, he, my dad was offered a contract to actually play hockey in Kalamazoo, Michigan, on a pro deal. Uh, wow and didn't take the job because of me um, and, and move out. He was 24 years old, working full-time in a grocery store, and then um, obviously had a pregnant wife at home and just put a mortgage down on our very first home. So chose not to chase it. And uh, they used to grow up saying, if you don't start behaving, we're going to ship you off to Kalamazoo. And I guess I misbehaved because I was there for a really long time. So and it's home now. So it's it's a true story. Like I didn't even know there was a place. Uh, my first ever NHL training camp was here in '96 when I was drafted by the Dallas Stars. They had training camp here in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I was like, "There really isn't a Kalamazoo. Like this is what we're flying to. Like what is happening?" So it was pretty crazy. Well, let me ask you this: Like typically we go through your journey, but since you were talking about it, like. You're obviously a, a very good coach. You, you don't coach in the same spot for the amount of years that you did in Kalamazoo for a long time. Um, you know, like we're all always a product of our experiences. And you talk about your dad, you know, like not taking that job in Kalamazoo to, to help start and raise a family and, and things like that. Is that something that entered and crossed your mind a lot as you were going through your process in Kalamazoo? Like you did, did you have other opportunities to potentially go to other places, but because you guys were in Kalamazoo with your kids, like maybe it was, it was home there for you and you wanted to stay there and do a great job there. 
Yeah, I mean, without any backward, that's pretty incredible because it had happened three times where I could have left uh, prior to when I finally left uh, Kalamazoo. Uh, but part of that was trying to have the fortune, first of all, and the luck that you have the people that believe in you in Kalamazoo and believed in me as being one of the leaders of the organization and for such a long time in pro hockey, obviously. And um, it's funny because it was just about to be an article um, right before I took the Hershey job that it was like the longest tendered coach in pro hockey. Uh, at the time in one city and they were getting ready to launch that about three it was supposed to come out three weeks after um, I ended up taking a, a new position so and the reason I actually took the interview is because I'm like okay now I really want to go <laughs> like it's 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 time you know and I hadn't had an opportunity in uh, a little while so very blessed and very fortunate to be able to raise my son Brecken literally just finished his senior year in high school we moved in when he was three months old in the Kalamazoo, Michigan. So I played here, then coached here. Um, and then I've been blessed to have the opportunity to move on to the American Hockey League and in and, and another capacity as an assistant coach. And, um, you know, I'm really fortunate that it's gone that way for myself. That's amazing. That really is amazing that, you know, putting the family first and like, I, there's a lot of high level coaches that deal with that on a year to year basis. Like what's best for my family versus what's best for my career. And it's such a difficult juggling act. I've done it a couple different times and, um, man, like those conversations are real, aren't they? Like they're real when you're having it with your wife, you're having it with your kids. Like, I, I think like people don't understand like the toll that it takes on a family, this coaching life <laughs> and how incredibly difficult because we're workaholics, right? Like if you're in this and you're coaching, especially at the level, like you're, you're probably a workaholic and you're passionate about it. And sometimes the family takes a backseat to it. And, and like, if you can just shed some light on like maybe some of those conversations, because I know there's a lot of coaches that listen to this, especially ones that aspire to, to coach at the higher levels. And I think it'd be great to like, kind of go behind the curtains a little bit and just like, what are some of those conversations that you would have like with your kids, with your, your wife, as you were going through career, family, family, career, career, family, you know? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was it was always a different reason, right? So it wasn't always the same reason why we selected not to go. You know, I, I think there was different reasons. You know, it was once I signed a four-year deal and they came after me to match the contracts that were in place with the other coaches and it was only one year of term. And I'm like, well, I can't leave when I'm on a four-year deal with a wife and two kids at the time. And I'm like, I can't do that, right? So that makes no sense. And then another opportunity was I knew that I wanted to be and I was willing to be an assistant coach. Um, but I really wanted to be selective if I could be on who it was good. I mean, that's the goal, right? To select where you go and when you go and when you leave, but you could get fired, right? So um, when I had the opportunity to be selective, I wanted to make sure that I was under the right people. And I'm a pretty hands-on person. And I, I knew that I didn't want to move to the next level with someone who, you know, wasn't aspiring to move on and move up themselves. There was an opportunity under a gentleman that I have a lot of respect for. And, and he was really comfortable being an American League assistant co our head coach for a really long time. And his name is Roy Sumner, happens to have the most wins ever in American Hockey League history, I believe, or coached for sure. Um, and he was, I mean, he just retired finally as an American League head coach. Uh, and he he was my coach when I played um, and he's at the American Hockey League all the time. I'm not saying he didn't aspire to be, 
but I just knew that he, it was going to be a lengthy process behind him. That was another reason why. So the conversations were always pretty easy. I think it, for us, I think the kids were always willing to do whatever it was. You know, we were like, hey, we really want our kids once we get to high school. If we can get them through, get one through, the other one hadn't started because my kids are five years apart, then maybe that's a window of a year or two we could go. Um, there was an opportunity when my daughter was a freshman and she's like, let's go. Dad's going. We're going. You know, she's the type of girl that would move with it and roll with the punches. Um, but the, just blessed is really the word. I mean, to be able to have that opportunity in one place and to recognize how fortunate you are for that, that's what it came down to. It was like, why am I going to leave what I have here? It has to be the perfect situation that checks all the boxes. And this opportunity with her, she really did. One, and first off, the head coach, Todd Nelson, and I were acquaintances. We were not friends. Uh, we had mutual friends for sure. Um, and people talk about networking all the time. And I didn't know what that was when I was a young coach or aspiring to be a young coach. Well, what's networking mean? Like, tell me more. What do you mean by that? You know, I went to 13 NHL drafts in a row. I went to Roger Nielsen clinics. I've gone to coaches site clinics. I've gone to the NHL clinics. And, you know, there's times where I made choices not to go to some of those things for different reasons for family or whatever. But I'm telling you, if I didn't go to the draft in Montreal, then I wouldn't be sitting here as assistant coach of the, the Hershey Bears. You know, so I cross paths with uh, um, Todd and I'm like, oh, Todd Nelson, we're in a mixed group of people um, after the first round and happened to be at a bar sitting there, was probably there for a couple hours, had a good night. And literally two weeks later, I get a phone call my, from Todd Nelson saying, hey, you want to be my assistant coach? And I'm like, whoa okay you know how's this gonna happen right? so, <laughs> that's, um, that's what it's all about that's so true though like I, I, that is it's so funny the question that i get asked the most probably from young and aspiring coaches is like how how do i get to that level like how do i move up how do i kind of continue with my career and stuff and the first thing i tell them is like you just got to put yourself out there you, you got to go you got to email people you got to um, go to these clinics. You got to form some friendships or acquaintances. I think, like you said, and and um, and then you got to do a good job. <laughs> you know, like it's one thing to to meet Todd Nelson and have a few beers with him and talk some hockey, but it's another thing to have a resume of doing so well as a head coach for so many years in Kalamazoo, right? And like, would you like what would your kind of advice be to young and aspiring coaches who do have a dream of climbing the ladder and coaching at some of the higher levels? Yeah, I think first off, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is to be more patient and, and and patience is important, right? It doesn't matter when you get there and every journey is going to be so different. You know, you want to have this plan in place. When I took over at 30 years old, I had on my wall that I was going to be an American League head coach when I was 35. I'm 45 and I'm still not an American Hockey League head coach. Okay, I've been up for three jobs, three times in the final three or four. They don't always tell you the exact numbers to be a head coach in that league. And every time other than one, it was an internal hire that got that position ahead of me. So then I got to a point where I was like, okay, now I need to be the internal hire. Right. So how do I get myself to be that person? And then I'm 45. If I'm 50, now they're telling me I'm too old to be an assistant coach because I'm not going to relate with these young kids. So then I have to make this decision even sooner. Right. So um, I, I think the biggest thing is patience. I think it's putting yourself out there like you talked about. And what does networking mean? Um, I'm good friends with Brad Larson, who obviously was just recently fired not too long ago with the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was my captain my first three years of pro hockey. And I'll tell you, when you're at a coaching clinic with Brad Larson, he walks up to every single general manager in the NHL that he sees, and he'll go out of the way to shake their hand and look them in the eye and tell them who he is. 
And they're going to know who he is because the world is small, right? Especially when he says it, but they're never going to forget this man's handshake, first of all, because he's going to crush it. And (laughs) he's going to look you in the eye like a man, like I teach my son and my daughter to do that since a young age, a very hockey thing. And regular life people do it too, don't get me wrong, but it's just a very- Not as much. Right, not as much. You're right. Not as you can much. Get Vex anymore. going right now, Vex. You can get you going real good right now with that <laughs> stuff. This is me off. So you know, so that's what it is. Like, do that, shake hands, and and explain why you're there. And people will listen to those stories, and people will listen to what you've gone through. Um, and people will take the time. Like, I don't think I've shook a hand very often and walked away saying, oh, that guy didn't listen to a word I said. It doesn't happen very often, um, especially in this world of the kind of people that are in hockey. It really is interesting. Like it's a small world. And and I think hockey gets maybe too much of a bad rap of it being like an old boys network where like people are just going to hire their people. There is a semblance of that because you want to hire people you trust, obviously. But I think that the game has changed. And I think there's, there's openings for people out there. If you do put yourself out there and people are just looking for good coaches at the end of the day, people who know what they're talking about, people who have a plan and, and an execute execution plan for that plan. And, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's so much value to what you just said. And for all the, for all the young coaches that are out there listening, like take that to heart, man, because, um, there's a, where there's a will, there's a way, and there is a way for sure. Well, and you're in hockey. So if you have a job and you're in hockey, you're blessed. I don't yeah. care if you're coaching Pee Wee AAA or you're coaching in the National Hockey League. You're blessed to do something that you enjoy every day and you have a blessed to make an impact. You know, the impact, you know, we win. Okay, great. The gravy on top, the cherry on top is our team wins the Calder Cup. We have an unbelievable run, right? It's incredible, right? But if we had a loss in the first or second round, we still did an unbelievable job. You know what I mean? Like we really did. And then you go back to the cherry on top and how you treat people. You know how many text messages I had after we won by eight o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time? Like it'll blow your mind how many people reached out and how many players reached out and past players. And geez, guys I've cut that reached out to me or guys I traded away that reached out to me or players you've had for a long time or someone you were with for a month. It was just mind blowing. And I think that's the true testament of what it's about, the people that you can touch and, and create and, and build a bond with to help them. How many reference letters have you done as a coach or a, an employee or, or a coworker? How many times have you done those things and gone out of your way to do them? And I used to be really lazy and say, why don't you write it and I'll sign it. And then I grew up a little bit and now I take the time to write them myself too. <laughs> so, um, you know, over practice and over time, but it, it's just what it is. You know, it, it's just that network and you treat everyone the way you want to be treated. And in the long run, I think it's going to pay off for you regardless. Is that mindset of kind of like, sounds like, you know, you, you come from a gratitude uh, perspective. Like it's never, never a bad day. If you're working in hockey, I, I actually just texted one of my pro clients, Zach Jordan. And he said he, you were one of his first coaches in pro. And he literally said, you made it fun to come to the rink every day. You taught him to be a pro. You took t- extra time to work with him on video and some other things he said um, and said he really, really enjoyed playing for you. And, you know, I, there's some people who get so like caught up in in the negativity or the day to day or we lost last night. The sky is falling. It doesn't sound like you're that kind of guy. Is that something that you you brought into coaching from your playing career? Uh, or is that the, the mindset and things like that, keeping it light, keeping it fun while being able to, you know, do the job that you're being paid to do? Or is that something you learned more as a coach or how did that come about? 
Well, I think if you text him, he'd probably tell you there's a bit of a dark side sometimes too. Don't, <laughs> this isn't all a, I'm not a big golden retriever on this. End. I <laughs> you know, I think there's a little more, a little more bite to this guy than maybe it comes to imagine. But no, I mean, who hasn't said the line, right? As a player, as a coach, whatever, you got a coach who's mad and he's skating you and you're like, dude, this is all you got. I mean, I can skate all day. I've been doing this my whole life and I'm a brutal skater. So, you know what I mean? Like, great. You're going to crush me down and back, but this is still way better than a nine to five job in a cubicle that I can't do. Like I can't be that type of person. Now I'm not saying I wouldn't be in some of the summer jobs that I had to play the game of hockey for a long period of time when I'm slinging concrete over my shoulder or lifting wall slabs and things like that. I still did that with a smile on my face because I knew why I was doing it. You know what I, you know what I mean? So yeah, definitely blessed and have that feeling. The days for me when I feel my team needs to know that I'm pissed off for lack of a better term are exhausting days for me because it's not who I am. But there's days where you have to send that message. And that message starts with the first guy walking in at five to eight and the last guy that leaves at 1.30. When that guy leaves at 1.30, I could sleep for three hours. Because be, be, uh, I can be a prick if it's needed to be. And I'm not saying that's my style by any means. Like, I think I'm selective on when I do that. Um, but when I have to do that, that is such a hard day for me. Like, I, I, I literally struggle. Like, I am like tired. Because I'm like, oh, thank God, the player finally the player left. I can smile, you know. And that happens three times a year, maybe twice a year. I don't know, you know. And do I lose my shit? I lose my shit occasionally. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it's very selective. I think one time a year it might just come from nowhere and it's out of emotion. But the other two times that I might lose it, it's it's going to be with emotion where I've walked in with an assistant coach and walked out and said, well, I hope that works. You know, trying to find <laughs> something. You know what I mean. So, you know, usually there's a method to the madness for sure. So don't don't let that happy go lucky lack intensity uh, for sure. But that's something else that I learned this year. Like Todd Nelson as a head coach is the calmest person I've ever been on a bench with in 24 years. Like eerie, almost to the point where if you just watched him, you're not sure if he cares, and that is not the case. He cares with everything in his life and his whole passion but he is the calmest individual i've ever met in every scenario it is mind-blowing to me and i'm <laughs> uh, that was difficult being a head guy for a long time to becoming the guy who needs to shut up and be an assistant coach which is fine i knew my role was changing um i only got in trouble one time in 90 something games so i think that's pretty good um from really good <laughs> you know I that was pretty good and he was like i don't need to say much because if something happens both my bulldogs with patrick weller being our other assistant coach and weller's a big opposing bald guy who's six foot five he's 38 years old and he's charismatic and all the players love him because he's the wittiest guy you've ever met in your life and he just chirps players all day every day and they all love him to death and he's super detailed so our staff is fantastic and a completely new staff new goalie coach in you uh uh He's from Finland. He coached a little bit in Sudbury Wolves as a goalie coach. And now he's our, who's a new guy in pro hockey with us. He coached in Finland for a long time. And then our video coach is Adam Perner. It's, we're all first time working together. Like it's, it's just wild how it all transpired. And then obviously Wellesley and, um, Wellesley and Nelson and I are all former Bears players. So I think it's one of only two or three times in the, whatever it is, 80 plus 90 years, whatever they've been around now, um, that they've had all ex-players as, as a staff on the bench. So it was pretty cool, too. That's that unreal. Cool. 
Yeah, that's unreal. Well, it sounds like Nick, like what you have in my, just from hearing you talk right there is a superpower. And for any coach, if you can have the superpower of being authentic, then you're, you're starting off in a really good spot. I, I think like where a lot of coaches err, especially as they move levels or whatever it may be, is they try to be something that they're not because they feel like they need to be something that they're not to, to be the best coach available. Um, and it, it's awesome to hear you talk. And I hope again, like all these young coaches that are listening are, are listening to, to Nick and, and his process, like, because it's, it is, it's a superpower when you are fully yourself at the rink and you understand and have the self-awareness of like what your strengths are and how you can bring the most out of people. Um, I don't think there's any greater gift that you can give to your players than that because it creates connection. It creates bonds. Like guys can smell a fake guys can smell bullshit. Like, you know, I'm sure, um, in, in a freaking second. And so like, was that a process for you? you know, going pretty quickly from player into being a coach, like what was that learning curve? What was that process like for you to really understand and recognize kind of like who you were as a coach, what made you tick and what made you really good? Um, which it's gotta be like, you know, again, without having <laughs> so years of reflection after you're done playing, you got right into it. Like, um, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I think immediately I think of a couple of things as you you were discussing that. And I, I think that, you know, I think one example right off the bat in Kalamazoo and, and this sort of Southwest Michigan would understand. And, and the, the person I use in this is like PJ Fleck came into Western and PJ Fleck is obviously one of the most charismatic, energetic individuals you'll ever meet as a coach, maybe ever. I don't know of anyone who's ever going to be like him, but I can't go watch PJ Fleck speak and then become PJ Fleck tomorrow because that's going to be BS right through you, right? Like, it's just like you said. So that's the example that I think of right off the bat. Uh, for me, genuine was the easiest part. Um, I, I'm vulnerable. I'm willing to be vulnerable. Um, I always have been as a leader prior to that. I was a three-year captain and then took over as head coach and I coached seven players the following year that came to my house for every after party as a coach, as a player, sorry. And then I was like the old young guy with the family, right? So it was easy to have the parties at our house. And then literally you play three in a row and you win all three and you drive home in your car as a coach and they go party somewhere else. So, um, you know, that was a difficult transition that first year. And really the first playoff thing was bad. But I, I think really it was who I was right from the beginning. And, and if you don't mind, I can tell a little bit of a story. We were three and seven in our first 10 games and we were in game 11 and we we're in flint michigan believe it or not the flint mega bowl i think they call it now <laughs> um and we were there and uh i was the only coach they didn't have an assistant coach we didn't have it so it was literally an athletic trainer a equipment manager and myself and the radio guy upstairs is all we traveled with it was a four-person staff and we we're down by three goals in the second intermission and i was sitting in this beautiful little office that was <laughs> tiniest grungiest grossest place i've maybe ever been in my life and i was like man i'm 30 years old i just scored 40 something goals a year before i'm like what the heck am i doing right now do i even know what i'm doing so i literally went in the intermission i literally turned my seat around and sat on it like this and leaned over it and called everybody in and I just said, listen, 
I think what I'm trying to teach you is the right way. I think what I'm asking you to do as a head coach and how I'm asking you to play is going to be successful for us. I want you to try this for 20 minutes. Tomorrow's off no matter what. It's three games in three days. Tomorrow's off. If you guys go out there and play the way I've asked you and we see improvement, great. If not, all of us will sit down Tuesday morning at 8.30 in the morning. We'll have a meeting and I'll let you guys give me any idea you want. And we'll sit there and I'll go through it. I don't care if it takes 10 minutes or it takes 10 hours. I said, we'll go through every one of your ideas and I'll listen to every single one of you. We're down by three goals. We went out and won in a shootout. Yeah, you did. Nice. We won. We went on a tear and ended up being a playoff team. And at that moment, I was like, that's who I am. It's that simple. I'm going to be myself. Um, And then the other part is like I've had my family's been very open with where things are in life. Like I think the next pandemic in this world is mental health. And I think it's a bigger pandemic than anything that's going on. I think in sports, it's primarily not talked about enough. There's never enough. There's never universities aren't equipped for it. University. I mean, Michigan's probably up there doing a really good job and their staff's still probably short by 20. You probably need one for every friggin' sports team you have when it comes to someone who can talk to and, and speak to these athletes. And that's just sports. That's not even the general population in my mind, but my family has been very open. My daughter was a, a Juco athlete and struggled immensely with some anxiety and depression. And I was open and honest with my players about it. Um, I think it's helped us understand and see that in individuals as well as I've progressed and I've gotten older. Um, but I've been open with them. I've been open with them about those conversations. And then when I'm open with those conversations, I've had players come to me and cry and I, that I know really well. And then I've had a player who's with me for two days who's done the same thing. So, you know, I think that being genuine is the most important thing and being honest. And I probably got myself in a little bit of trouble here and there because I probably said a little too much honesty when it came to affiliation agreements and things like that at times where I'm like, Hey, you're not playing. They're like, well, why not? I was great last night. I'm like, well, because Vancouver scouts here. So I have to play him, you know what I mean? Those type of things. And I just tell them that. And I, I think your locker room eventually is going to appreciate that honesty and rather than some sugar-coated bullshit reason. Love so that. true. Love that. that. Nothing, nothing better as a player to get it straight to from a coach instead of all oh, this or that, or, Oh yeah, no, just keep doing what you're doing. Well, why was I healthy scratch then? What, what did I scored last night? You know, like, uh, uh, actually that happened to me. I think I was in Hershey. We lost two one when I was playing for Providence, I scored our only goal. I played center and I was a winger and I, and I was like over 60% on draws, which is hilarious. Cause I wasn't a center and I got scratched the next night. And, and I was like, Dude, what the, the hell's going on here? You know? And the coach, you know, pumped my tires in the, the locker room after the game and I got scratched. Uh, uh, but it was that exact situation. Oh, they're coming to watch this guy. He has to play. So does that guy. He's from there. You know, it's like, man, like, why don't you just say that to my face and be, and, and like, you know, and then you don't, okay, I get it then, you know, like that, that level of, of being able to talk to your players and, and, you know, tell them the truth, level with them, having them being able to open the door and talk to you about anything. So massively important. That's really cool. Well, and they're not always able to do it, right? Like I think we yeah, all, of course, that possibly we want that to be an open door policy or whatever term you want to use. I mean, we all want that, but the reality is that sometimes they're not comfortable. And when the one thing Kalamazoo really allowed me to sort of, I left it in a way better place. 
is how I feel when I left, right? And now there's a full-time video coach, there's a full-time assistant coach, there's a full-time life coach who's dealing with these things for these people. I mean, we've gone out and we've created this whole group and now they're traveling with seven people instead of four. And, you know, they're willing, obviously, the ownership group there is fantastic on and letting them continue to build. And Joel Martin, obviously, being the head coach now, well, now he's moving one his video coach onto the bench. So now they're looking for maybe two. So now they have two assistants, plus they're going to have slow video coach and i mean they just continue to make it better and better for individuals and you know i was blessed to be able to build that or be part of that process i mean i guess i spearheaded on most of those ideas and most of those things but um you know someone had to allow you to do that um so it was just a real blessing and then you sit back and now i'm just an assistant coach my phone doesn't ring anymore and it's amazing and <laughs> i just do what i do every day so and i live with a head coach you talked about family he his wife and his kids are grown so his wife lives in uh dallas texas where he coached last and nelly coached there for four years and um, um his wife josette's um, dad lives out there so they they live separately so nelly and i rent a townhouse together um, in Hershey and then you know uh, family and friends come and visit as often as they can but it, it's a pretty tough life sometimes when it comes to those pieces for sure crazy great well that's that's insane that you guys live together it's yeah. that's like you know for us like being back in college like you're just hanging out with your hockey buddies and now you're just probably watching video and watching the NHL and stuff that's pretty cool Everybody laughs when they hear about it. <laughs> I like that your head went there, Toe, because my head immediately went to stepbrothers. <laughs> it didn't go to like professional. I was thinking of like nuts on the drum set. And, like, <laughs> oh, no, a, li a little dragon, a little Nighthawk going on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like like guys, exactly. Guys put bunk beds so you can have more room for activities in the bedroom. I like it. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Well, well, Nick, I want to go back to something that you said a little bit earlier because it's hilarious. We were like with our staff this year, we were having a conversation about how we were like, I wonder what the percentage is of division one hockey players right now that have come in having any sort of a job before coming in other than like being a hockey player. And you were talking about, I forget what it was, but it was like a manual labor. You're chucking concrete, whatever it was like, I feel like more kids need to do that. Like more kids need to work manual labor, like put them in construction or put them in like some sort of a manual labor job because they'll learn more doing that at like 13, 14, 15, 16 years old than they would like in a skill session with the coach. I feel like just from like a work ethic, life, grind it out standpoint. So I wanted to ask you like talking about that, what... What kind of education did you get from working those jobs and how did that allow you to like succeed like both as a player and now as a coach? Well, first off, I mean, I had a young family, right? So that I was different than most athletes, right? I, I was married super young and had kids super young. So I felt like I needed more income, you know, and, and I was blessed to make what I made playing the game of hockey and, and was very fortunate to play for 10 years. But, you know, you always need more when you have a young family and you, you try to find a way to survive, so to speak. And um, I'm not going to talk about who or company names because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But I was also a Canadian citizen living in the U.S. So it wasn't that easy to find a summer job if we're, we're speaking through the lines here a little bit. So um, I'm all good now, guys. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> so, got a little green card here. I'm lasting everything. My whole family has green cards. Everything's good. So there like, you go. it wasn't easy, you know, and at one point I had a, a lawn care business with a good friend of mine, Tyler Willis. And 
literally we're both Canadian. So technically it was a legal business we had. <laughs> so technically, so I needed a legal business to prosper, to keep playing the game that I loved. Um, it was probably not the best thing to do with a wife and two kids. So um, I, I worked a lot of jobs. I worked back home in Ontario for an ex-hockey player, uh, Tom Diceman. I did. That's where I started, started the landscaping sort of business doing that in the summertime. I said, listen, I'll give you all the hours from Monday to Friday that it takes. And but I'm not working a weekend. I said, this is so my bank account doesn't just go in one direction all summer. I said, my bills are paid. Everything's paid for the summer. This is for me to buy groceries and, and play golf on the weekend or whatever. Um, I'll give you if it's 70 hours because it's busy, I'll give you 70 hours. And I was getting on the bike. At, I'm not exaggerating. I would go home, eat dinner, go to the gym. I'd come home and put my daughter to bed, fall asleep on her floor almost every night wake up and jump on the bike for 45 minutes, go to sleep and do it again Monday to Friday while I was training and playing at the same time. Um, so one, it was like, this is just what I do to be successful. And I needed to do that for my family. Um, and then I did the concrete, like we were lifting those hundred pounds. We were doing walls. We were doing short form walls or, or big basement walls. And you're lifting a hundred pound panel on those big basements on a regular basement wall times the whole basement times putting it together times filling the truck lifting those things out of a pit over your head or chaining them up so they can drag them out with the hoist that's work and that's real work and i don't know if my kid would survive i'd like to think that i push my son to be uh to know what he's doing a little bit when it comes to work ethic but i i'm pretty sure he wouldn't make it one day in concrete without crying i don't think <laughs> How much my daughter, would, my daughter would make it. My daughter would make it for sure. Uh, <laughs> but my son, I think, would probably cry. Uh, <laughs> and 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 he's a six foot kid that has a reasonable good work ethic, I would say. So, um, but he would probably cry if he had to lift those forms all day long. So, I think what have I learned? I think it's just you do whatever you can to get what you want. I was well. I would have mopped floors. I would have cleaned bathrooms if I knew that I got to go play hockey in September. I would have done anything to do that. You know, I look at some of these guys who, you know, are working. All these guys now work at golf courses and you know pro shops and all these cushy jobs or work you know hockey schools and things like that. I mean, I would trade that for a heartbeat, but I feel felt like I had to work hard. And I think the biggest thing is just you would do whatever you could to do what you love the most. And that was just to play the game. I also think that that probably is why you have the mindset you do coming to the rink every day, though. Like you, you've done things that are a lot harder than than hockey, a lot harder than your hardest day in hockey, whether that's losing bag skating doesn't matter there's nothing that's going to be harder you know physically or probably mentally than you having to go through like all of that to keep playing the game to to keep you know food on the on your family's table and and you know living in the u.s without a green card all that stuff like everything that you go to the rink now is probably easy and uh you know that tof and i talk about perspective uh, on this podcast all the time and how massively important that is i i this is my last week in the gym with a couple of my gr younger groups. And I, I talked to them all about that type of stuff today as perspective, like one bad day does not make a bad season. You know, like you have to, you have to play these tricks with your mind to get yourself out of those ruts. But perspective is like the easiest thing ever. And I'm sure that that's played a role, you know, now that you don't have to do any of that for the, you know, the last 10 years or however long it's been not, not, you know, slamming concrete and, and, you know, working 70 hour weeks and, 
out in the heat and all that stuff. I, I have to think that that gave you a massive uh, appreciation for just hockey. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the biggest thing is when you started coaching that I could live the lifestyle that I wanted to live as a player that I couldn't afford to live. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Especially as an East Coast guy, because I could literally take my phone and do my job from anywhere. Right, as long as I have my phone, I'm fine. I went to Canada to see my family. I went down south on a vacation. You know, I go to Vegas every summer or did for a long time. But I mean, I mean, there becomes a time when you can't answer your phone anymore, obviously. But uh, especially when you're in Vegas, you know, it becomes about midday, and then there's no more phone calls. But um, <laughs> the reality is that you could do that, right? And that's what I wanted as a player. I wanted to be able to live that life, but essentially could. I mean, I could afford it if I really wanted to, but I wanted what I wanted for my family and for myself um, is why we tried to do that. We could have made other sacrifices to make that happen and I could have just trained, but what was I going to do with the rest of those hours every day anyway? You know what I mean? So it was like work and do this. You'll have appreciation, like you said, for it and um, definitely not going to harm you. You know, I know there were some guys who were like, oh, man, you're still on an NHL contract. What are you doing? You know, and I was like, hey, I don't need to skate every day all summer long. I'm going to skate my four weeks really hard beforehand and I'm going to be just fine. You know, um, where now it's, as you guys know, it's 24-7, 365. It doesn't change that much, right? Maybe one vacation a summer for these guys. You know, it, it's insane, the training and what they put in. I mean, what they're doing for a warm-up is a joke now. And <laughs> I mean, Steph's kids are doing it too. My kids have done it. And I'm training those kids on the ice and what they're doing on a daily basis. But what they do on Thursday blows my mind from when we play Friday, Saturday. <laughs> compared so to what we do. We're like, we're going to do our 20, we're going to do uh, 20 sprints and we're going to do shoulders. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Your shoulders don't get tired for the weekend. <laughs> These kids are jumping off boxes and yeah, they're doing all sorts of things that I didn't have to do. And maybe it would have been better if I did, but. So true. Well, I want to take it uh, a little bit back here um, because I'm fascinated with the Memorial Cup. The Memorial Cup is arguably one of the greatest tournaments in hockey um, outside of maybe World Juniors, Stanley Cup playoffs. The Memorial Cup, everybody in Canada just shuts down and everybody's watching it. And you got a chance to play in, in a couple of them when you were playing with Guelph in in the, the OHL. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, what was that experience like? getting the chance to play in the Memorial cup. It looks like, did you guys host one year? And then one year, one year you guys won the OHL championship. How did that work? We, yeah. One, the first year we went, we went to Peterborough. So it was us and Peterborough in the final. Oh, so, wow. So we're both going no matter what. Uh, we lost in game seven on a back when there was a two line pass. So I'm dating myself. Um, so there's a two line hand pass, literally thrown up the ice by them. Two on one, they win in overtime in game seven, and both teams are going because Peterbilt was the host. Uh, we got killed. I was a rookie that year. Um, probably the reason I ended up getting drafted to the National Hockey League is because we played so long. Um, I was a ninth round pick that year. It was very late. There was only nine rounds. Um, and I played more in the Memorial Cup than I had all season long. You know, I think I was healthy scratch two games my first year in junior. I played 64, 66, um, played a lot more. I think we lost 8 nothing, 2-1, 2-1. And I don't tell me why. I have no idea why I remember that. Um, we lost 8 nothing to Granby, who ended up winning the whole thing. Jason Doig, those guys were on that team. And then we lost 2-1 to um, Peter Rill. Um, man was on that 
team, those guys that end up in the NHL. Then you had like Chris Digman and Redden on the other team there and Brandon that beat us 2-1. And I remember it was an amazing experience, but I do remember walking out talking to my parents after and I was like, you know what, like this is unreal, but I want to be back here when I'm a go-to guy on this team. You know, I want to be back here when I can make a better impact on this group. The next year we lost game seven of the semifinals to Ottawa. Uh, we were down three nothing in the series. Battled back to Game Seven and lost. Then the last year, when we were the seventy eights, the crazy eights as we called each other, the eight of us, uh, we went all the way back. We won the last ten games leading into playoffs. Lost one game in the playoffs. Went all the way to the Memorial Cup. We lost our opening game, so we had to play a tiebreaker. And they actually changed the rules since then. Um, so we played our final round robin game, the tiebreaker game, the semifinal game, and the championship game, and it was four games in four days. Ooh. And we lost the fourth game in overtime against Portland in Spokane, and they had Marion Hosa on the team and Robinson and a bunch of guys that went on to play for sure, but we lost uh, in OT. So it was the last time ever that there's not a gap in there between a I think it might be the semi-final and final, I think, or somewhere there's a gap so you can never play four and four again. That's uh, wild. Because of that mistake um, for us. So, um, and we had only lost two games on our way there. Like it was, it was, it was a wild ride. Like, and obviously it doesn't feel like that in the moment, um, but they feel a lot tighter and obviously we're a lot of tight games, but we had a really special group and they kind of had like an eight, eight and eight system going for there for Guelph. And it was really working. They're not building these super teams kind of like the NBA and they are now these Mario cup teams are just like, okay, we're just going to sell the farm and go for it. A lot of that wasn't, or not as much of that was happening then uh, um, when I was there. Um, but what an experience to go and to understand, like, literally, you're the last four teams playing in the whole country, and everybody's paying attention. Um, it, it, it's just a wild ride, and it's it's the hardest trophy. I mean, it's harder to win than the Stanley Cup because your window is so short, right? You have five years max if you're an over-under. I don't even know if you can do that anymore. I know you can do under. I don't, yeah, I guess you could still do five years, but most guys are three years in that league and that's the most you can play. And, um, you know, to be there and that close that many times was pretty wild, but they always used to theme them out and do a lot of fun things. And uh, George LaRock was on the Granby one. Here's a funny story. So I was a big guy, you know, at 16 years old and did a little bit of fighting that first year. And, um, you know, we had a couple bigger dudes that were in third year, but they just didn't like it as much as I apparently did back then. And I don't like it that much anymore, but uh, I used to like it a lot more. And we uh, were on the same hotel as them. And the theme was like, it was like, I think it was like 70s or 80s themes it was like the bomber jacket and like the tight jeans, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, we, yeah. We get off, our whole team's waiting, and we're getting ready to go up in the elevator, and it comes down and stops on our floor, and it's, first of all, it's the Quebec League team, so it's Granby, and it's Doig, and those big, and, and all of a sudden, the door opens, and smoke comes billowing out, because they have cigarettes, and which we were like, what is happening? This is insane. And then it's got George LaRock, who's the biggest human I've ever seen in my life, with no shirt on with his jeans that don't even do up because there's no way they're fitting around this <laughs> This guy looks like it, like 
the ultimate warrior and we're, there's no room for us to get on. So the doors just kind of close like this. And as they're closing, he winks at us and the rest of the door closes, and everybody's like, yep, Hooter, you got him. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. Absolutely no chance that I'm fighting this guy. There's no chance. Like this guy would shred me to pieces. Um, so anyway, it was a funny story because of their themes. So it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I didn't know. Do they still do that? The themes? I don't know if it is or not. It's been a long time since. I mean, I I went back when Guelph hosted not too long ago, but I didn't even think about that part, to be honest, if there was a host part of it or what it looks like or theme. I don't know. I don't That's got to be pretty cool, though. I mean, you talk about that last year. You guys, what did you say? You won 10 straight going into playoffs. You only lost one game in the playoffs. Like, talk about that that run. I mean, what's what's the feeling like in the locker room? I have to imagine you had a group of guys that were just unbelievable that played for each other and like hanging out away from the rink and it translated to stuff at the rink. Like you don't go on runs like that unless you got an unbelievable camaraderie within the room. Um, what what was going on that, we were brothers. that run? We were brothers. I mean, it was it was we were brothers. Like we spent there and you know, a lot of those teams that lost early went home and went back to their high schools and whatever. Like we finished all three years in the same school. Like we played late every, we played in the end of May every year, you know? So it was just, it was just like, it was expected from our group, you know? And, and right from when you got there, just the culture that they had in place there in Guelph at the time. And EJ McGuire was our first coach. And then George Burnett was there. So we had some pretty big names. And obviously EJ was an assistant coach of the National Hockey League for 18 years before he came down there. And George Burnett just won a Calder Cup when he took over in the American Hockey League with Kate Breton, I believe. So he came down. So you had these guys that, you know, brought that on and had their own little niche. Like, I mean, EJ McGuire was a video guy in the NHL. So our junior B team, unfortunately, in Guelph sucked at the time, but we shared a shower in between the two rooms. So in the playoffs, EJ McGuire would put all the names of every player in every stall. And then he'd have a breakdown of every player. Then he had videotapes, like after videotape, like VHS of power play, penalty kill, four check all broken out that you could go in there and sit down and you could watch it. And we're like, you know, the hours that takes to do that. That's in, insane. Back, wow. then, on back the, then. Yeah. Back that's then. insane. Right. It's ridiculous. The hours <laughs> that I would put in, you know? So, so do you have like a different TV? Like yeah, for he each ran of VHS player? <laughs> so yeah, so he ran them wow. constant stop start, you know what I mean? And, and record and whatever off a of master, and then he'd create those tapes and stuff. And it was like, okay, now you're gonna watch power play entries like we all do, which now is a click of a button, we're all laughing, right? It's 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 unbelievable how it's come across. But he was doing that for us, and we were like, Well, we're just gonna win because our coach is unbelievable. Like we didn't know any different, you know, but I remember that started with the culture of guys that were there. Like it was like, we will never lose two in a row. It was the first statement, you know, and I was listening to a little bit of your podcast. Um, your last one, I think if they're in order, I, I don't know, was about good starts or whatever, right. Yeah. To the season and stuff like that. So I was trying to do a little bit of homework on you guys a little bit, just to make sure I wasn't a complete idiot on here. So <laughs> I, uh, I was listening to that and, you know, for me, and I don't want to stray from the plan, but I was like, for me, it's that opening meeting, especially at a higher level, that opening meeting that can set, you know, how many hours we put into that opening meeting as a staff every time it blows your people have no idea 
And it might be 20 minutes and it might be 40 if you're adding videos or what you're talking about and how you're creating the culture and what you're talking about you're going to do and how you're going to set the tone for your team and things like that. Um, but I think that opening meeting is just so important for those type of things, right? And then the other part that I think, and I'm talking all over the place because I thought about it a little bit today too, is if I was asked what I was learned, I, I think I overcoached a little bit um, going back to, I think I had very structured teams. I had teams that always competed hard. I had very disciplined teams. Um, I always wanted to play super aggressive because, or coach super aggressively, because that's how I enjoyed to play. So I always implemented that. So the two things that I'd say is more patience. Don't overcoach. Nelly is like, who gives so little early on and it, it's a whole buildup. They don't have our whole plan until they're, we're 60 games in, in Hershey. They didn't have our whole plan. Whereas in Kalamazoo for years, you're going to have my whole plan really quickly in 30 days. You know what I mean? You're going to have, and I, you're going to still grow as a team and you're going to still do this, but I'm like, okay, we're going to do these three face us when we win in the D zone to start the year. Next week we'll implement these three, then we'll have these three. Now they have all nine by week three. Now he's like, we're going to do this one and this one. Okay. Well, are we going to do anything else? No, that's all we're going to do. They can go strong side, and then start to change it up on their own after we tell them. And we're going to start strong side for the first 40 games of the year. And I'm like, well, there's so many things we can do. He's like, yeah, I don't care. I don't want to do it. We're not doing it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And then you ask why, because you want to learn why. He just doesn't overcoach. He doesn't want them thinking. You know, he just, it's, it's simple. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And we'll be fine. Relax. And then aggressiveness. He's just like, we're just going to play above. Well, we just lost an offensive zone face-off. Can we hound to get the puck back? Like, what if we cut them off and go to here because they're going out weak side 80% of the time? It's like, nope, we're just playing above. And it's incredible, the difference. Like, <laughs> So simple for the players. Just, right. I just can't get above. I just can't get above. I just play above. That's well, all it's, I got. I don't have pressure, right? Where I was like a hound dog on a loose bone. I was like, ah, I want to go. And he'd be like, no, just play above them. It's fine. You know? So I know I just went all over the place. But it just, Love it things that I, I've thought about. I think that's awesome. And and I can't like Vex, how many coaches have we interviewed on the podcast in, you know, the four whatever years that we've been doing this? The amount of coaches that at some point have came to that same conclusion where it's like I, they were like I overcoached. Like I feel like every single one of them. I think it's just a natural <laughs> you know, like, evolution. Like you, you want to do so well in the beginning that you want to give the guys everything, and you think back to your playing days and however you were, but that's not how maybe the guys are now, or, or, or whatever. But it's like you know, the less is more. That old cliche. It, it just makes sense coming from like a player's perspective, like just thinking about like when you're on the ice, especially beginning of the season, you're going through your, your visualization before the game. And then you get in the thick of things. You're like, wait, oh, wait, am I supposed to go? Uh? And it's that second of hesitation at the higher levels that screws you over and creates the holes and, and gaps and stuff in your armor. But if this, if the, the, the commands are simple and they're, they're brought back and it's just like, just get above, <laughs> just go up the strong side, you know, figure it out from there. It's like, well, the players are going to play and they're going going to figure it out they're so nasty that's so smart that's really cool yeah for sure and i mean brad larson's a big proponent on it too you know like just the guys being robotic and over to i don't need to justify my job 
I know how hard I work. I know what I put into it on a daily basis. So it's okay to be done. It's okay to have those days when it's time to go home or go hit a bucket of golf balls or go do something or go take care of something for your family and um, those type of things. You start early enough, you're prepared. It doesn't matter, you know? Um, and Nelly's the same way. That's the way I would be if I was the head coach at that level. As long as your work's done when we need it to be done, I don't care if you're there 20 minutes after practice, you got something, go do it. You know, those type of things. I think those are the best people to work for and you get the most of your individuals too. I was going to ask you, because we have a lot of coaches that listen, um, especially a lot of like younger coaches too. Like, I know this is kind of tough because like we're not bringing up a specific example, but talking about like, okay, I'm, I used to overcoach. Like in your day-to-day, reflecting now on when you used to overcoach versus, you, you know, how you're attacking coaching now what was the difference for like a day to day for coaches to hear as far as when you were over coaching versus maybe something now where you're not over coaching? Yeah, I think, I think it's a tough question. And I agree with that. I think for me, I think it's more of a broader stroke than it's gonna be harder to describe on a daily basis. I think it's just not trying to give so much of your systems, right? I mean, we have a systems package that's so long and now i mean we started with a system package that was in one powerpoint and then okay now we had to break down the offensive zone the neutral zone the d zone because the powerpoint wouldn't work anymore because it was getting to be such a big file right so you had to do all these things um that way so i i think for me it's just trying to give just the important information and then move on for that right um and it's the same thing like i have a coach who's really hard on that like my meeting my power play meeting before the game is supposed to be six minutes long that's it. That's what he wants. That's including video. That's how long he wants my. That's he's like, you have six minutes. What? <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're the boss. This is what it's going to be. It's going to be six minutes. But so, how detailed can you be? You can be detailed, of course, but you have to pick and grow with your group to see what they need that's so important that day in six minutes, right? That's it. Now, I've got to a point where I can do things on the side with them or I can take them aside and got, I can do all that as well. But my meeting is six minutes. And if it gets to seven, I can see that he's stewing, you know, he's like, <laughs> ah, that, 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 you know, and like, okay. And I'm like, okay, well, tomorrow morning I need a meeting with these guys. I'm not going to have enough time for seven minutes. And he's like, fine, that's fine. You can do that. But that, cause I do mine before the game, he does five on five and penalty kill in the morning. And then I do power play at night. And then he follows it up with another reminder meeting. That's how he does it while our face-offs are clicking in the background too and scoring chances and all that stuff. But um, it's just unique. So I think me for the day-to-day is probably a little bit difficult because I'm a very, like we're videoing every practice. Now we're posting those, we're posting the practice plan beforehand. You know, we're, we have video, what it's going to look like. And then we're going to run those reels um, having those. But I was a guy that every day still went to the board and said, listen, this is our pre-meeting and this is what we're going to do. And they're all by like game 20. They're all like this. <laughs> Cause they've all watched it a hundred times. Right. I mean, you're going to show them the new drill. Right. Show them the new drill. They know it. Now, I think sometimes things will happen where you lose details and drills, even though if it's a go to one where you still have to rein them in, of course. And you'll know that as a coach. But I had a pre-ice meeting every day for four and a half years in Kalamazoo every day, pre-ice, every single day. And we went through every single practice before we went on the ice. Why? So it's more black and white. The game's not black and white. 
right? Like we want to create chaos. That was a goal of ours in our first four to six drills in our first 20 minutes to 30 minutes. We're going to create chaos. I don't care if the first two reps of the drill are brutal. Why? Because it's not, it's gray. Hockey's gray. It is not black and white. So create the chaos. And then our goal as a staff is to move from one drill to the next as quickly as possible. So everyone is doing the same thing, just like the game of hockey. And we're going to bounce and bounce and bounce. Yeah, it might take three or four reps to get to where you want, but just embrace the chaos and embrace that. Um, and I think in the long run, it pays off. At first, you're like, yeah, somebody's watching my practice and this doesn't look great. And you start to worry about those things when you're 32. But when you're 42, you're like, I don't give a shit what that guy thinks. <laughs> I, I, I think. I'm confident in what I'm doing. I'm not saying I'm the best coach in the world, but I'm confident that I know what I'm doing. That's awesome. Totally. Vex, one of the hardest things, and Nick, you'll you'll appreciate this, I'm sure. One of the hardest things as a coach is taking the hundred clips you've done in your pre-scout or whatever and molding it down into like five. I can't even imagine. Yeah. It's like he's like you're dissecting. <laughs> you know what I see you nodding? Like it's like the hardest thing ever. It's like I got all these clips and I feel like I have to give this all this information, but shit, I only got six minutes, or I'm only like I can only do this in like seven clips, and you're trying to pick the perfect ones, and there's a perfect thing in on the entry, but then this and then that, and it's just like it's but that's like less is more on a day-to-day thing right there. You know, like there's, there's some coaches that you totally. know, I'm sure, I'm sure all of us have played for where you sit in a video session for 48 minutes and you it could have been, it could have been four, you know, you just saw the same thing over and over and over and over. And, you know, I've, I've sat in with some young teams and, and they're doing that. So like, for me, I think that's a great example of, you know, like maybe like the less is more on, you know, don't have to overcoach everything right there is probably a good example. And I'm sure it's really hard on the coach's side of things to to bring that down when you know all oh, like these clips will really show it, but that's 7:30. I only get six. So it was funny that you say that because that's exactly an example, right? Of the question that you asked already. But the the thing that I thought about is is Yuha um Litola. He's our, our goalie coach, and um he's from Finland, and he's like our pre-scouts are still fairly long five on five. Nelly takes care of those in the morning and he's like a big proponent of, okay, we're going to show the three most important things. If it was up to him and he was our head coach, I believe that's how he would do it. The three most important things that are going to win tonight's game is with the three things I'm going to show you. I don't care about the rest because he would always bring that up when we're trying to do it and the way we do it. And um, video wise, which is a really unique perspective because at the beginning, I didn't think it was a great idea. Um, And I've told Nelly this before, but it was Nelly's idea. He's like five on five, everyone's going to get a period. So we got two assistant coaches and Nelly. We all get a period. Okay. You're doing the first tonight because there's two power plays booter. You got the power play anyway. And then you worry about your individual stuff. Well, for 13 years, I watched every single game other than maybe four because we got spanked and I threw it out the window or something. You know what I mean? But like (laughs) literally watch every game by, again by 8 30 in the morning you know what i mean the next day for my whole life basically it feels like um so then he's like no we're, we're a new staff i don't we're just going to duplicate work this is what i want to do in dallas we actually all had to watch the whole game and then we're like oh i got this clip and i got that clip and i got this clip and now we're going into what you're discussing there right and trying to break that down well now brand new staff Boom, boom, boom. We see what's important to all of us. We all learn from each other. We all have it down. The workload is light. The workload is nothing. You do your power play. I do my power play. I do that. 
I do all that before I leave the building after a game and I'm done the stuff for him in the morning and I'm done the power play. Then I get up early and I start my individual stuff when I go back to the rink. So my workload is, is, is less, but you can be more More effective. Right. Exactly. That's amazing. And just think about like from, you know, Toph and I talk about this all the time too, like having a life outside of the rink, you know, like, and you talked about mental health earlier and, you know, we had somebody on from the NHL, our first year of this podcast. I don't, I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but they were doing studies in the NHL and like the guys who were having the most success were guys who had interests and hobbies and things that they did outside of the rink. So by you guys, you know, employing this system here, you're getting your work done that you'd usually probably take home and watch till 2 a.m. or whatever. And you're getting it done before you even leave the rink. Well, now you can be with your family at home. You know, you don't got to get up the ass crack of dawn and do video right away because you've already got it done from the night before. So you're going to go into the rink happier. You're going to get more sleep. You're going to spend more time with your wife and your kids. And so by, by, you know, this smarter approach and it's a lot, you know, not over coaching, it's, it's giving you a better life outside the rink, which I truly believe helps everything improve inside the rink as well. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it makes total sense. I agree. I agree. That's Plus, cool. Brand new people working together. It was amazing to learn from each other that way too, right? As opposed to him just saying, okay, I do five on five. You guys have nothing to do with it. Well, he wanted to know what was important to us, you know? And the other part is Nelly's a guy who's open to change, right? He, he will change. He understands what he wants, but he'll listen to ideas that we have for him. And if it's your, like if it's four check or neutral zone four check, he's like, these are your drills. These are, these are offensive side of things. You run those. So there's days in practice where I run as an assistant coach, where I run 85% of practice because it's power play and four check and neutral zone four check. So that's a, that's a booter day. You know what I mean? Now there's days where I don't do anything and I don't run any drills, right? It's penalty kill and D zone coverage. Well, that's Wellesley. Wellesley runs that. You know, and then Nelly does the day-to-day stuff and keeps that going. So I, I think the perspective is the other part is, you know, going back to a little bit being selective on who you work with and why you work with them. And if it wasn't for that group of guys this year, it would, it would have been really tough. You know, those guys were awesome um, to be around every day. And I think that's really important too. You know, you, you hear some of those scenarios of guys who, you know, it's not fun and coaches don't eat together on the road and things like that. And I'm like, what? My staff always ate together. Now it's different. We travel with 14 or 15 of us now as a staff. So we don't all eat together. You know, we have a little group between it's kind of the coaches and then the other staff, but, and we mix and mingle here and there, of course, because we're all, we all love each other and we all want to work and be successful together. But the reality is that you're not getting reservations for 15 people very often, right? Let's be honest. So there is some separation that way. There's some differences, but those people that you work with, on a daily basis make it i mean you're with them more than anybody well that's unreal well last question we have for you before we let you go here it kind of has a lot to do with what we're just talking about and and that's the fact that you guys won a memorial not a memorial cup you won a calder cup this year in in hershey in unbelievable style like game seven right like game seven against coachella valley like um and and hershey for those who are not ahl fans who aren't as like you know um, knowledgeable about it. Like that's a, that's a pretty sick spot for the AHL. 
um, that you guys have had a lot of success for a lot of years and, and hockey is really, really important there. Um, and, you know, just looking back at your career and, and, you know, you, you were a head coach in, in the East coast league for a lot of years, um, had a lot of success. And then your first year going to the AHL, you're working with a, a group of people that you really enjoy being around and, um, guys are grinding it out together learning together and stuff like that. And then you win in game seven in, uh, in the, in to, to win the Calder cup, you know, just reflecting back on that, how did that feel? What was that experience like? And just take us through maybe that game seven and afterwards and, and your reflections going through it. Well, I think really playoffs are about moments, right? There's moments, there's a moments in every series that I could go back to and I won't not give you every detail, but you know, you think of Charlotte, we were up to one in the series and there's, they were beating us two nothing in our building. There's a wide open net and the guy's literally six feet above the crease and somehow shoots it over the net. It's three, nothing. Now we're tied and we're going into game five against them. And it's on five game series, you know, we're not coming back, but then we do, they miss, we come back, we win the game four, two, you know, there's examples throughout Rochester is the fastest team I've ever seen play hockey in my life. Like literally the fastest team I've ever seen. You know, now I've never played in the NHL, so I, I can't translate to that. Okay, but they were the fastest team I've ever seen in my life. And then no one posts up. They they they're like flying all over the neutral zone, using the middle of the ice. So we had to adapt and make adjustments because we were in one against them. You know, so every moment, every team has its moments, right? And, and every game has its moments. And playoffs are certainly all about moments and not losing yourself in those. I think it's really important. Um, two things that I'll say. Nelly has an unbelievable job at connecting people and creating team. And he does team building. And I know people are against some of that thing because it forces it to happen. Him and his wife, Josette, do a pig roast and everybody comes. And we did more team building in the first two months than teams do all year long. Um, he's very open about that kind of thing. So we lose game six in their building in Coachella. They tie the series 3-3 to go to game seven. And... Um, Nelly comes in the next day and is authentic and apologizes to the group for being wound up and not being his typical self. And everybody's like, no, we didn't really notice, you know? And he's like, no, it's my fault. I love you guys. It won't happen again. But we're also doing this. We took 158 or 156 people on a charter flight, the Hershey Bears, to Coachella Valley. Both my kids were on that flight, obviously, to come be part of this with us. So it was 156 people. And Nellie and his wife said, oh, yeah, by the way, we're hosting a barbecue tonight. I know you players aren't going to eat that food, but I need you to walk through between four and seven o'clock. Just have an appearance. It's going to be parents, grandparents, siblings, fiancés, girlfriends, you name it. I was all on this flight, right? Everybody that you wanted to bring could be on these flights. So they came to us. And that's when I knew we were going to win. First of all, it was about 7.30 that night when our team was doing that because we're a closer group than them. Um, and then you talk about moments. It was 2 nothing. We're down 2 nothing in the game. Um, and we got out of the first period, one nothing. We're like, okay, we're good. This is good. Even or down by one, we're fine in this building. We'll be fine. They score 30 seconds into the second period, so we're down 2 nothing. We're like, okay, not great. Power play comes along about halfway through and Nelly looks at me. He said, what unit? I said, put the five forwards out there. Put the five forwards. We're, they're hot. Let's go. This guy's tired. Put them out. Puts them out. 13 seconds, 14 seconds in the power play. Our forward shoots it down and hits a shin pad breakaway from their blue line in. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Three nothing. It's over. Goaltender makes an unbelievable save. Hunter Shepard. 19 seconds later, we score on the power play to make it 2-1. And then we take the game over from then. But 
it was still chaos. It's the first time in 70 years that a championship's been won in uh, a hockey championship's been won in overtime of game seven, first time in 70 years. And we end up scoring another one in the second period to make it 2-2. And then we scored the overtime winner from a Western grad. Gets a point on that, by the way, since we're pumping some tires, Ethan Frank. Pops one in there and or he got the assist on it or whatever. But um it's about moments and to be blessed to be part of a group that's so special was amazing. Um to watch those kids work and I mean they're men, but to watch them go through what they went through and you know, winning three-two in overtime in our building in game one, winning a one-nothing game. And it's an Ethan Frank story. They actually sat him out a couple of times after being a leading goal scorer for us throughout the regular season. And um he Nelly made a call to leave him out in game six against Rochester and all us coaches were fighting to put him back in. And Nelly's like, no, I'm not doing it. He's not going to play. He can play game one when we win this thing, but he's not playing. Well, the guy he left in the lineup, we won one, nothing. The guy he left in the lineup scored the goal. So, so talk about moments, right? I would have put Ethan Frank back in the lineup and I, I, told him that and then Nelly's like well I, I don't think it and uh, he's like let's sleep on it so the next day he brought it up again I said Nelly we have your back whatever you decide you're the head coach but I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm not going to say yes to what you're saying you've asked me the question this is what I would do and he's like okay I'm sticking my gut I'm not putting him in and who knows if we win that game we might not even be there if it's not for that decision or that moment right so um and then he puts Ethan Frank back in and he scores two big ones in game one and uh makes a big difference or they the home games game three, I guess, to be a big pivotal part for us. So everything happens for a reason, but just being blessed to be part of that group. It was a lot of fun. And um, man, do they, they know how to do it. If you're not going to win at home ice, you might as well win in prom Springs. That's for sure. <laughs> that's <just> smart. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Nick, this has been a phenomenal episode. Thanks so much for taking uh, some time out of your night to do this with us. I think people are going to get a lot out of this one and yeah, congrats, man. Congrats on a, on a run there in Hershey and, and good luck. I know training camp is, you know, you can kind of smell it right now. It's, it's in the air. So uh, best of luck with the start of this year too. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.